Turning again for the last time to 1 Samuel chapter 14, please. 1 Samuel chapter 14, and this is our fifth week on comparing the evangelical church today with the nation of Israel in the early days of the reign of King Saul. And this is our final message. We're 1 Samuel 14, and we're at verse 29. Just recapping the one verse from last week. Then said Jonathan, My father has troubled the land. See, I pray you, how mine eyes have been enlightened, because I tasted a little of this honey. How much more if happily the people had eaten freely today of the spoil of their enemies which he found, for had there not been now a much greater slaughter amongst the Philistines. Let me stop a wee moment there just to recap and say that, that Saul, the king, uh, made a man, made law, uh, that his soldiers would not eat the honey that God had provided, scattered it across the fields of Bethaven, and he forbid them from eating it. And God gave it to them for blessing, for strength to finish the battle, and because they didn't uh, get it and he restrained them from it, those are consequences that we will see uh, later on. And it says there in that verse 30 that we read, they restricted the joy and held back the freedom and the joy. And so often that happens in, in our churches. The freedom and the joy is held back by uh, man-made rituals and traditions. And the people go into death. God help us. Well, that's what has happened here. And you'll see that as we go on. Verse 31 and they smote the Philistines that day from Michmash to Agilon. And the people were very faint. And, now watch this verse now. And the people flew upon the spoil and took sheep and oxen and calves and slew them on the ground and the people did eat them with the blood. Then they told Saul, saying, Behold, the people sin against the Lord and that they eat with the blood. And he said, Ye have transgressed. Roll a great stone unto me this day. And Saul said, Disperse yourselves among the people and say unto them, Bring me hither every man his ox and every man his sheep and slay them here and eat and sin not against the Lord in eating with the blood. And all the people brought every man his ox with them that night and slew them there. And Saul built an altar unto the Lord. The same was the first altar that he built unto the Lord. And Saul said, Let us go down after the Philistines by night and spoil them until the morning light. And not, let us not leave a man of them. And they said, Do whatsoever seemeth good unto thee. Then said the priest, Let us draw near hither unto God. 
And Saul asked counsel of God, Shall I go down after the Philistines? Wilt thou deliver them into the hand of Israel? And here's a very, very chilling statement. But he answered him, Not that day. But he answered him, Not that that day. There are three things that scream and stream from these verses that we have read. And I hope you have kept your Bible open because this is a Bible teaching church. I hope you have kept your Bible open and you will gaze with me upon what I am going to say to you in a moment. I want you to fix your eyes, first of all, on verse 30, verse 33. Then they told Saul, saying, Behold, the people sinned, and he said, Ye have transgressed, roll a great stone unto me this day. Now I want you to get this phrase into your mind, the people sinned. Now Saul was some boy to be telling the people that they had sinned. He was some boy to be telling the people that they had transgressed. And he himself, full of rebellion, full of lies, full of deceit. And yet he's telling the people, you have sinned. And I have a lot more to say about that after. Note that first of all, the people have sinned. And then in verse 36, you have my second point this morning. Verse 36, then said the priest, after he said he was going to go after them at night, then said the priest unto him, let us draw near hither unto God. Here we have Saul shamed. What an embarrassment when a commoner steps forth and indicts the king, the leader, and tells the king and the leader, would we not need to pray? Would we not need to pray? So people had sinned. Saul was shamed. And in verse 37, the last verse that we read when we read the scriptures, we read in verse 37 that, that he answered him not a word. God was silenced. The people sinned, Saul was shamed, and God was silenced. Those are the headings that the Lord gave me from this portion as I conclude preaching on them this morning. Let's look for a moment at how the people sinned and why the people sinned. Because they sinned very grievously indeed. And they sinned grievously before God by eating the meat of the sacrifice with the blood. They were forbidden in Leviticus 17, Leviticus 19, Ezekiel 33. They were forbidden, forbidden to eat the blood. 1967, I worked with a man in Manchester. He was a greengrocer. He was a strict Jew. He and his brother ran a shop in Cheatham Hill in Manchester. I used to work some days with them, drive a bit for them. And he used to send me out to the shop for to get the meat. 
And he told me the butcher's shop to go to me, and he would say to me, you tell them now this is for Wolfie Simpkins. This is meat for Wolfie Simpkins. And the boy went away and got Wolfie's meat, which had all the blood drained out of it. This was in the law of Moses, but not only this, and take heed now. It was in Genesis 9, before the law came in, whenever they came out of the ark, God, through Noah, Noah, to not eat of the blood of the sacrifices that were offered. And anything that's embedded in the law, and anything that's embedded outside the law or before the law, needs a very, very careful scrutiny. And I'm just giving you one of those other things this morning, is marriage. Marriage ordained by God and inaugurated before the entrance of sin, therefore honorable in all, is a sacred relationship between one man and one woman, not two men or two women. And that was before sin entered, before the law entered. God gave that direction. And let me say this, when you take the blood and the abuse of the blood and you take the abuse of marriage, it's leading to the problems that we have in the church and in the world. And I would love to explore that this morning, but I can't. You just don't trample over the word of God and do what you like. There's rules laid down for marriage. There's rules laid down for divorce. There's rules laid down in the book of God before the law ever came in. As far as the blood is concerned, Leviticus 17, God says, I will set my face against and cut off them that eat the blood. Then in Hebrews we read that powerful statement about the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to what it says. If you call it unworthy and trample it under your feet, you're damned. If the blood of bull, bullocks and goats and calves and heifers and doves and pigeons are sacred to God, how much more the blood of his dear son. The Jews were not allowed to eat the blood, touch the blood, or walk on the blood. In fact, they covered the blood when it was spilled with dust in case anybody would trample on it. They covered it with dust. And our bodies are dust. And in us is the, in us, my friend, is the, this treasure and earthen vessel. And the life is in the blood. And the blood is in the dust. But the blood, the blood is life. And it will come to life. And this body of mine that is dust harbors the treasure that erst the vessel of our soul, which is alive forevermore, and one day will come out of the dust and out of the grave, let me tell you, and be forever with the Lord. Is it any wonder that Peter calls this the precious blood? And the old modernists and the liberalists and the ecumenists that tell us, and they do tell us, and you don't have to go far from here to find it, that there's no more power or healing virtue in the blood than there is in a rat. Blasphemy of the highest order. Those that don't preach it 
are as bad as those that preach, speak like this. Many years ago, I did a harvest service down in, in Coleraine Independent Methodist Church for Eric Stewart, probably 25 years ago. And there was a group there coming from Scotland and I was reminded this morning because Sharon had a tape on of, of one of the girls singing in it. And when they got up on the platform to sing, they said, we're glad to be here. And, and the fellow said, we went to a place to preach, an evangelical church to preach in Scotland. This is 25 years ago. And the boy told them coming in, you're here to sing, but you're not to sing about the blood. Well, they were more gracious than I did. They stayed. Listen to what McLeod Wiley penned, and I love that hymn. The blood has always precious been. Tis precious now to me. Through it alone my soul will rest from fear and doubt set free. Oh, wonderful is the crimson tide which from my Savior flows. And still in heaven my song shall be the precious, precious blood. Listen to the last stanza. I believe this fellow was a premillennialist. I'll say hallelujah to that. Perhaps, perhaps this feeble frame of mine will soon in sickness lie. Perhaps. Maybe he's thinking of the, of the rapture. Perhaps. Hi, friend, listen this morning. Perhaps, perhaps this feeble frame of mine will soon in sickness lie. But resting on the precious blood, how peacefully I'll die. Hallelujah. As long as God lends me breath, I say this morning that I will make much of the blood. So you would say to me, why will you make much of the blood? Well, I'll make much of the blood, first of all, because I'm justified through the blood as if I'd never sinned. Hallelujah. You asked me this morning, why do I make much of the blood? I am forgiven through the blood. I have forgiveness through the blood. And I'm redeemed through the blood. Hallelujah. Would them three not be enough for you? And I have peace through the blood, Romans 5. And I have cleansing through the blood, 1 John, 5, 1 John 1 and 7. And I have power through the blood. They overcame him, the devil, with the word of their testimony. The other way about, the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Hallelujah! And I'm covered in the blood. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. I tell you, every blood but born again believer, never be ashamed of the blood. Never be afraid to sing about the blood. Never be afraid to say we're blood washed. Never be afraid to say, cry to God, cover us with the blood. Hallelujah. Because he will and he does. And the blood of his son, of his own dear son that was shed for our sins. Oh, bless his lovely name. Liam. Blood, the blood. Blood has life, but blood has lips. The writer of the Hebrews says, The sprinkled blood of Jesus, the mediator, that speaketh better things than that of Abel. God says, The voice of thy brother's blood crieth from the ground. My friend, blood has a voice, a continual voice. It crieth from the ground. Al Capone, the American gangster, made some awful statements. And he, he, he said, dead men don't speak. I tell you, dead men speak. Blood can be shed accidentally. Blood can be shed surgically. Blood can be shed legally and lawfully on the battlefields. Blood can be shed sacrificially. 
And all we know far too well, blood can be shed violently. And let me say this morning, and I hope that this goes far and wide across our land, murderers and terrorists who put on their suits and their briefcases and pontificate and dictate to us and tell us what to do and show no remorse and build monuments to murderers who spill the blood of men and women upon the ground. There's judgment and damnation coming from every one of them. The blood of innocent victims cry from the soil of Ulster, Munster, Leinster and Connacht. And whether it's the UVF and the, uh, UVF and the Dublin and Monaghan bombs or whether it's the IRA or the INA and then OMA or an Enniskillen or anywhere else, there's a day of accountability coming. It's coming. And every wee drop of blood crieth to God from the ground this morning. Of our dear innocent people, I watched that lovely wee policewoman that I knew so well and loved on the television the other day. I tell you, the blood, blood speaketh, blood speaketh. The blood is life and the blood is lips, but thank God the blood is love. Unto him that loved us. And loosed us from our sins in his own blood. He loved me and gave himself for me. That's how the sin. Quickly, why the sin? Verse 32 is an awesome verse. Whenever the battle was over, they flew like vultures to the sacrifice. They were that ravenous, they were that hungry after the battle that they didn't take time to kosher. That's what the meat without the blood is called, kosher. Go and ask, simply ask, make sure you get kosher meat. That's cleansed from the blood, purified from the blood. And so they didn't take time to kosher or cleanse the meat, to cleanse the, 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 the sacrifice. And they flew at it. Boy, that's a story, just like vultures that went in. They knew that what they were doing was wrong, but they were starving, they were ravenous, they were hungry. Do you know why that was? Because King Saul kept back the honey. God had provided the honey to feed and to sustain and to finish the battle and to bring liberty and to bring joy into the army. But because he hindered them and held it back, they go mad. If he would have given them what he was supposed to give them, that they never sinned like this. This was the legalistic controlling of a man-made law that prohibited them to do it. It was rich of him now calling them transgressors and calling a prayer meeting. We're going to have to pray, he says, because you have done this sin. He'd need to pray for himself. And there was no use in him praying for himself, for God's not going to listen to him. Listen, don't you be running to the prayer meeting now when things get tight. You see, it says about Daniel, whenever they put him into the, into the, into the den of lions or going to put him in or wherever he was going at that time, but it says, Daniel shut the door and he went in and he prayed as a four time. He wasn't praying because the crisis was coming. This is what is normal prayer, as a four time. You notice that, you understand. He was just praying as he did every day. 
And my friend, if we're praying as we do every day and seeking the Lord, when the crisis comes, we'll not get a bit excited. We'll have already laid it before the Lord. And there's no use in him coming now and saying, oh, we're going to have to pray. You have sinned. He'd need to examine himself first of all. And don't you be running to the prayer meeting. Don't you be running into the prayer meeting. Just when things get tight, and when everything is going well, you never bother about God. It doesn't work like that, let me tell you. And you'll end up like Saul. He's not here. In my 40 years of serving the Lord, I have seen this many times. And I'm opening my heart this morning. Because I'm as much to blame maybe as others. Where young people in particular were dictated to with do's and don'ts and restrictions that in a generally were man-made, many of them. Legalism and the fear of men and feared what others would think. And I can tell you that when the children get out, some of them went mad. I say this very guardedly this morning, prayed over it. Some of the wildest men that I knew in Fermanagh were from two of the strictest denominations. I went through this in my mind and I thought of these men and I thought of their upbringing. They were made to follow man-made doctrines and regime. They were told who they would marry and they were told where to go and they were told where to sit and they were told what to do on Sunday and they were told, but they were told it all and good of it, a lot of it was good, but there was no love, there was no example, there was no mercy and there was no grace. And I remember speaking to a mother one day and her son I knew very well, and he had went mad, just mad. What heartache he gave her. I remember him or saying to me one day, they were walking out the lane, there was a lane out, it was way in West Vermont, and it was laid out from the house. She named him, and he said he got up on that bank, out that bank out the lane there, and he said, he turned around to me, and he said, you see, when I get away from here, I'll curse, I'll drink, I'll smoke, I'll wreck cars, and everything he'd done, all those things. So let's just let that sink into all of our hearts this morning. The people had sinned. Secondly, King Saul, the leader, was shamed. Oh, he says, come on, let's go now. It's night time and we'll hammer them, we'll run, we'll not leave one man of them left. We'll get into the fray and we'll go into the pipe and we'll wipe out every last one of them. And the priest stood up. He says, sir, do you not think we would need to pray? Do you, do you not think that you would need to pray before you run on to do what you're thinking of doing tomorrow? You see, it's, night's a bad time to make decisions. I have made decisions at night and I've been off. You see, when the next morning comes, in the light of day, when your mind slept and you thought it over, things change. Maybe you're thinking of doing something this week. 
Have you, just, have you gathered that family around the altar? Does your wife know and your husband know? You prayed about this. Because if there's one element of doubt you'd need to hold back now. Hold on. Oh, Salters, we'll go and clear this hole. We'll clear nothing up. God's not in it. If God's not in it, then where does it end? Well, you know where it ended for him. It ended up with the witches. Just think about that this morning. Be sure, be sure before you do that deal, before you sell that house, be sure before you take your children here or take them there. Well, I don't know who I'm ministering this morning, but be sure that you have the mind of God. He says, I will instruct thee and guide thee and lead thee in the way which thou shalt go. God will do it. He promised he will. He'll do it. It is a sad day when a leader of people has to be rebuked, spiritual people have to be rebuked for the lack of prayer. Leonard Ravenhill said, if the pastor and leader and minister is not fasting and praying and weeping over the flock, the flock would need to weep and pray and fast over him. And I say this morning, and some of you men out there are criticizing me for keeping this church open and criticizing us for things that we preach and things that we have said. You criticize away all you like and just send emails like the boys are sending them because I'll not be answering them. And if I told a man, I said, don't be hiding behind the emails. Come to the house and see me and talk to me. They can say what they like, but I'm going to say this this morning. If the pastor or the minister or the leader of an evangelical church is not interceding alone before God at least three hours a day in the closet on his own. He shouldn't be in the pulpit. It's incredible to believe that we have come to the month of October and many of the evangelical churches have not opened their doors for prayer. Why is that? They're still zooming and booming in car parking and they're having a prayer meeting in their churches. Well, the only thing that I can say about that is either they have no desire for prayer nor they don't want to be in prayer and they don't believe that God is able to answer prayer and revive again. And I challenge you this morning the house of God needs to be open and you need to get in and you need to pray and you need to cry and you need to call. It's night and it's dark and it's late. The only answer I can get to that is a man just wants to stay at home. He's just content now. He's got settled down and he doesn't want to come out. Of course, when some of them come out, they don't pray anyway. They're not able to pray. I don't mind people coming into this prayer meeting that don't pray. I know your heart and I know that you're here. But people don't want to get into a prayer meeting. They don't want to come. They don't want to waste the time. They have no belief. They don't believe that God is here. They don't believe in the prayers of God's people. Shame on them. I hope you're listening to me this morning. Sad. 
still hiding, still duking. That takes us to the last point. The people sinned. The king was shamed. And God was silenced. He answered them not that day. You know, that, that statement was riveted into my soul. He answered them not that this is a crisis hour here. The future lay in the balance. And Saul's praying, God, not here. Boy, that opens out some stuff for me this morning. What a sad day. Two years after he was anointed and filled with the Holy Ghost to carry out the duties of God, God has hid his face, closed his mouth, covered his ears, and withheld his hand. He couldn't get anything worse. So tell me this. How many is praying and God's not hearing them? Hmm? Many people are out there in evangelical churches this morning praying and God's not hearing. Many here and God's not hearing. Hmm? Boy, you'd need to make sure that he's hearing you. Need to make sure that his ears open. Maybe you know why the Lord doesn't hear you and that's why you don't pray. Maybe you know. It would be an awful thing if you know. Now let me, let me just say this as we come to a close. The silence of God is not always because of sin. But it is here. It wasn't because of sin in Job's life that God was silent. It wasn't because of sin in Mary and Martha's when they came to ask him to, raise, to, to heal Lazarus. It wasn't, wasn't, wasn't sin. And you could go on down through the scriptures. It wasn't the Phoenician woman that came to the, to the Lord with her girl that was possessed with the devil and the disciple says, send her away and he never answered a word to her. I, that wasn't because of sin. God was working and God was dealing and God was moving in other areas of life and he's doing that with you. And Just because you're not getting answers to prayer doesn't say it's sin in your life. He has a multiple of reasons why he's not answering your prayers for your good. You would want them answered tonight. You'd want them answered today. And you'll make a mess of it a thousand times. You just let him, you just pray on. As long as there's nothing between you and God, you pray on. He has reasons for this. And he'll show you in the right time. He'll show you what is right. It's not always because of some sin or sins in your life. How many prayers are going up that are not heard? There are many characters and scriptures and many 
scriptures and characters that I could take to close with this morning on that thought, but I'm not going to do it. There's one verse God laid definitely on my heart. You needn't turn to it. Psalm 66 and verse 18. I want you to take it home and chew over it. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. Now, if you're living in sin in some way or another, you can't expect the Lord to hear. He's a holy and a righteous God, and he will not hear. You can pray all you like. And we can have all the altars and all the tables and all the tracks and all the books. How many times have I not said that? But I have experienced it, and I have seen you can have it all. You can wear the shirts, and you can put on Jesus saves, and you can do what you like to do. But is he here? Your prayer. I think that's this psalm, I nearly thought that this psalm, this verse was written for Saul. What was in his heart? Well, it's all here. Iniquity, transgression, rebellion, jealousy, fear of man. Do you not word, do you not word, regard is the word perceive? If I perceive in my heart, If there's a sin or something there that I know and I'm aware of when I get down before God, again I say this is why people can't pray. It's only when it's clear, it's only when there's nothing betwixt, and that may take days, it may take restitution, it may take going and saying sorry, it may pay in bills. It may be fixing the farm account. It may be the income tax. It may be taking the money. Give me the cash, not the check. Now I'll not take a check, a boy said to me. I'll not take a check. Well, he got a check. Mom now. Farm accounts. Income tax. Let the Lord search your heart this morning. When you get down in the closet before God, what comes with some past sin? And mind you, there's boys across our land and the horrendous sins in the past and they're praying and they're preaching. What is it? What is it? I went bankrupt and I turned over onto another name and I left the poor debtors without money and I'm still preaching the word. It's a nonsense. It's a lie. The lie. The Lord will not hear you. Hear, preach all the like. He'll not hear. His ears are silent. Boy, I want to be in the place where the Lord hears me. I don't care how long it takes. I don't care what I have to do. And I had to do many things in the past. I don't care. I want to be transparent before God. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Whosoever confesseth and forsaketh his sin will be prospered. You've got to confess and forsake that known sin when you get down in before God. There's a thing way back in the past. I don't know how I'm going to deal with it, but I'm going to have to deal with it, and God will give me grace to do it. 
One of the most striking similarities with Saul, and I close with this, and the evangelical church today is the sins of the flesh and the sins of the spirit. There's the sins of the flesh and there's the sins of the spirit. The sins of the flesh could be murder, adultery, fornication, outward sins. These were sins of the flesh that these people were committing. It was a sin against the law. They were taking the blood. It was openly done. They'd done it openly. But those are not the worst sins. Who murders not the worst sins? No. Those are not the worst sins. The Marachal, Boo's daughter, said, the sins of the spirit are a thousand times worse than the sins of the flesh. Jealousy. Pride. Haughtiness. Lust. Things that are in your heart and in your mind and in mine. That nobody can see. Cloaked over. The word of God said, cloaked over with a gospel track or a gospel tax. You can't cloak it over. can't cloak it over. Saul's sin was spirit hidden. Hens of the spirit hidden, suppressed, covered, and he knew. And away down in his heart, he let it go on and on. Friend, till he ended up, the only thing that listened to him was a witch. His own people here wouldn't talk to. I tell you, when a man takes the road away from God and a man and woman goes on in their sins knowing that they need to confess and repent and forsake it. And if you want to come up to this door after this meeting this morning, lovely to see Martin and Lee in the meeting this morning. Lovely to see that man was able to stand up and Donald was able to stand up and come out through that door. And if you're going to be man enough or woman enough and if you want help, then you don't have to come near me. Go away to somebody. Go away to that man. Go away to that woman. Go away with that check tomorrow morning. Get it written out. Go like the man that I knew in, in our man that said they went to the income tax. He says, I owe you 20,000 pounds. Maybe 20,000 pounds. I can't remember just the name. The boy says, how do we know you owe it to them? I owe it to you. Done the books for you. He owed it to them. Is he the first man ever come in here? Go like the man when Eric Stewart was, when the spirit was moving in 1993 when he was speaking on restitution. Go like the man that went to trainers and over the old trainer was living at the time, they said to him, I was came here and I got a gearbox for a car. And you told me to go out the back. One of your men told me to go out the back and I got it. And I come in and I paid for it. But I got two and only paid for one. He says, I'm bringing it back. He says, you're the first man ever came here. Go like the Queen's graduate man that was, a, uh, was here in this church as a deacon for many years. Go like him. Back to the woman when he was going to school. When he was going to, when he was going to the primary school. He stole a bottle of lemonade from a woman's door and God convicted of him and he went to her. God requires that which is past. Boy, if we could get the church right, if we could get all this sorted, I tell you, we'd be in revival before tomorrow because it's not the world that's keeping the revival back. It's not. And I've learned more 
in the last week or so than I've learned for 10 years. It's not the world that's keeping the revival back. It's me and it's you. May God bless you. But not only that, may he speak to you and may you be honest before him.